0: W B N E. Hello and welcome to episode 143, all about the Silmarillion, Chapter 3 of The Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor, being the 143rd part of That's What I'm Talking About. my name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today, I am joined by yet another wonderful TikTok creator in our corner of the internet known as Tolkien Talk. This is new better, do better. Welcome.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing?
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much.
0: Um, your name has come up a lot on in in my TikTok community. Whenever I've um asked for recommendations of who do you who do you want to have on a lot of people have tagged you before and you know you've also just shown up naturally on my for you page as well and um I always hesitated to dive into all of you like you and Don Marshall because you guys get really heavy into the lore stuff but now that I'm doing the Silmarillion it's the perfect time to bring you guys uh, into all of this because you, you know, your stuff and you, uh, have such tempted, a... uh,
1: we're babies. We're, 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 we're sweethearts. We really <laughs> easy to get along with, uh, we're really, uh, we'll ease you into it. We won't, you know, although we know much of the Lord, like we're nice guys. We won't like, beat oh, you yeah, that for thing, sure. Though. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me on i really appreciate it um i'm honored to be mentioned so much and to be recommended and it's an honor to be on your show so thank you
0: yeah um before we go into our discussion why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your introduction to tolkien or lord of the rings and and how that came to be in your life
1: literally i just did my, my own podcast the other day and i was explaining the story i've said it on other podcasts and i'm happy to, to say it again um you know, I I just was uh, in school one day. Um, I was, you know, I was preteen, like 12, 13 years old, and uh, you know, I was I was smart, super smart kid, but I always would just get bored with school and act up. So I would I would get detention a ton of times, typical story <laughs> of that. And I would get detention, and detention at the time was being held in the library. So to pass the time, I would read. I love reading anyway, and to pass the time I'd read. I just, you know, ran out of books to read. I kind of was bored. Even though I was in the library, I didn't, you know, really like reading everything. So a friend of mine happened to be reading The Hobbit and he was like, "Yo, read this." And I saw the cover, and it had an eagle on it, uh, with the you know dwarves in uh, Bilbo in, uh, in the Erie. And I was like, "Wow, that eagle's big." And I was like, "This looks like a cool book. It looks cool." And I'm, I've always been um, partial to the fantasy side of things, so I gave the book a read, and I instantly fell in love. I loved everything about the book, uh, especially the way Tolkien writes. Uh, it, it struck a chord with me, the way he describes things, uh, the way he describes emotion, fear, landscapes, um, and the poetry in the book uh, resounded with me. Um, it, it just struck a chord with me so well. Um, my friend then said, hey, why don't you read The Lord of the Rings? And I was like, Lord of the Rings? What's that? And I, and I read The Lord of the Rings, and I was just like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. This is the greatest thing ever. And um, I've been stuck ever since, and I literally read all the books Um, Just like every week, I I constantly reread everything over and over and over. And I've become, you know, a bit of a a nut about it. Uh, Very obsessed, very, um, you know, just on it. And I I reread it every week and I love it. And it's just, there's nothing better to me than discussing it with people who love it as well. Um, you know, getting to know new things about it every time you read about it, There's always something interesting. And uh, yeah, so that's part of my life. And uh, being able to recently discuss it with other people has been the best thing because like, like I said, I always explained that very much where, where the type of environment where I grew up in, people weren't really into that, you know, fantasy necessarily or Lord of the Rings and. Uh, they just were doing other things and they had other things they were doing. And, um, you know, so this was an outlet for me to do this and be able to discuss it with people in the fandom and other people like me, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I'm extremely happy to to find talk, talk and be a part of it. And, uh, it's like a release and I've always liked teaching stuff and, uh, You know what I'm saying? I've always had the support from everybody, but they just weren't interested in it. So to have people that are actually interested and Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about and, you know, are impressed by, you know, my knowledge on the subject is very humbling and uh, just, just, you feel honored.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to dive really deep into something that you're really passionate and interested about and, you know, go tell your friends about it and be like, this is so cool. And, you know, tell them cool stuff and have them be like, yeah, sounds great. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's another thing for people to comment back and be like, that's awesome. I want to learn more, or, you know, or be like, yeah. that's not cool
1: at all. Or, you what know, have looking for. my. I always wanted my my feelings on it to be their feelings, which is a bit much, but I always wanted them to, to understand why I liked it so much and to see and to understand. And they just, you know, they were just mm-hmm. in a space, which people have every right to be into. And, like I said they were very supportive and they were like, wow, you know a lot. I don't know what you're talking about, but you know a lot, man. Great for you. Find somebody else who really is into that. I'm into this, but I support you. And I got I can't say enough. I respect the fact that they support it they never try to tease me or nothing. I'm very much so from like, you know what I mean? A different type of vibe. Yeah. We was outside in the street and we was doing things and and stuff like that, hanging out with different type of people where. That wasn't what was what was going on, but they always respected it. Never teased, never nothing. They just they just wasn't a badge. So I'm so honored to find people and and to connect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's all really awesome and wonderful. Yeah. Um, Well, the chapter we are discussing today is chapter three. Of the Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. I yes. think this is the the longest chapter title I've encountered thus far. Um, this is probably going to be the longest title e- of the episode for the podcast. <laughs> but it says it right there in the title. And also the the Captivity of Melkor is kind of a little bit of a spoiler for what happens in, in the chapter, you know?
1: Um, there's, there's a lot of those. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We start off on... uh, Well, actually, we're not really on um, Arda. All of the Valar are up there chilling in Valinor and pretty much... None of them ever really go down to Middle Earth, um, because the lamps were broken. Everything is essentially in darkness. Um, the stars are there, but not so not bright enough really to see. Um, Yavanna and Orome are really the only ones who go down to Middle Earth to check on things, see what's happening. Um, Yavanna, in particular. Puts some of the things that had awakened and grown during the spring. She puts them into a sleep so that they don't die, but that they will still be there and kind of preserved. Um, presumably, when the children of Iluvatar
1: arrive. Yeah. So they're they're in Arda. Don't get don't don't. Oh do right. Confused. Okay. Right. They're in Arda. They're just they're on the western coast of Arda. Okay, so yes. Valinor is all the way on the western coast of water. So if you want to liken it to today's maps, just think about the United States as Valinor. Think about the Atlantic Ocean as the the, the sundering seas. And then think about literally Europe and as Middle Earth. Think about Europe and Eurasia okay. as Middle Earth. That way it's easy to visualize in your mind. There's just a giant sea in between, and on the literally say the Americas would be Valinor. That's right. where the the Dalar live and they don't typically come over to um, Middle Earth. Only a couple of them do, you know, to do certain things. Um, so, so I don't mean to correct you. I apologize.
0: No, and, um, that's what you're here for.
1: Just, just, <laughs> just, so, just so we know that they're, they're in the, um, they're in Arda and they're in the world and they're okay. just on the western coast where they are in Valinor and they fortified it and to protect themselves. And the only way um physically to get over to middle earth is either by boat or go to go over the top there's a land bridge called the Helkaraxa um, basically, like the uh, Barren Strait, like Russian connecting to mm-hmm. the United States, but this is just in Tolkien's world, and um, it's very dangerous to cross. So, just sorry about that. I just wanted to make sure. No, you... No, know.
0: don't don't apologize at all. <laughs> That's what you're here for. And honestly, the visualization um, that you were saying of like think of you know the United States as Valinor, and and uh, you know Europe and Asia is. Is Middle Earth is really yeah. helpful for me because, especially, I think I think it's like during the last couple of paragraphs or the last page, he gets really into the description of like the the geography and where they are and what a what the land is called and it's west of this and it's south of this and I'm like I I need a map I don't know where we are yeah. right now so that maps was very helpful best. thank you
1: <laughs> maps are the best yeah
0: and also probably tricky too when you're reading the Silmarillion because. The landscape of Middle Earth changes constantly, right? Because of um, thing like Melkor knocking over the lamps changes yes. the, you know, what it looks like. And I believe in this chapter, it changes again. So even this if we did really have a crazy. map,
1: I literally made a video about this today. That's so crazy that we're talking about that because I made a video on exact that, about uh, exactly that. The lamp's getting knocked over and the literally the configuration of the Earth being changed and the Valar had to save the Earth from being destroyed and change it. And that's actually how they get to Valinor is because of that. Before that, they, they yeah. built a place called Almarin in the middle of the Earth, in an island in the middle of a lake. So you're exactly right and um, you're 100% correct there, so... It's very interesting, and it, it's you got to keep your on your toes to know, you know, wh- what lands, what lands changed, when, why, and then just be aware of it. And in, in now the geography has changed, so yeah, yes.
0: yeah. So because all of the Valar essentially are over doing their own thing in Valinor, Melkor is able to just grow stronger and grow in darkness unhindered essentially um and he fortifies um his fortress autumno and Mm -hmm. he makes another stronghold named you might have to help me with the pronunciation okay so it's spelled a-n-g-b-a-n-d but when i say it out loud angband does not sound angband no way. That just Angband. does not sound like Tolkien.
1: <laughs> Angband, the fortress of Angband. Yes, you're 100% right. Uh, oh my he, gosh. He put a fortress near the western coast of uh, Middle-earth in case the Valar tried to uh, do an assault from that way.
0: Okay, got
1: so it. That's why he put Angband there, and he, and and that's what the stronghold is there for. So his main fortress, just like you said, is called Otumno. And then Angband, which means the Hells of Iron, is his second fortress near to the western coast of Middle Earth, uh, mm-hmm. of Larian in, in that area. But it's still Middle Earth. Yeah.
0: And who should he make as his lieutenant but Sauron, of course? Exactly.
1: Sauron, yes. Got to bring Sauron him is in. He's his second in command and he leaves Angband in Sauron's charge. He, he trusts Sauron in everything. Sauron knows about all his plans. Sauron is is deep in his councils. Sauron is his most trusted and most dangerous servant, and he he leaves Angband in his charge.
0: Right. So over in Valinor, Yavanna and Orme bring to the Council, bring to the Valar the news that Middle Earth is. They're like, it's it's not really looking that great. It's really dark. Melkor is constantly growing in power like that that's probably something we should deal with this is supposed to be a land that the children are Luvatar will come to Um, and it says shall we then leave the lands of their dwelling desolate and full of evil shall they walk in darkness while we have light shall they call Melkor lord while Manwe sits upon oh boy it's another name Yes, that. I'll just let you say <laughs> it and pretend I said it correctly. Yeah. So they're like, seriously, guys, this is we're really not doing our job right now. What can we do to make this um a better a better place for the children of Oluvatar? Tolkus is immediately classic Tolkus is immediately <laughs> yes. ready to go to war. He's like, yeah. Let's throw hands, let's go. Let's do this. Um,
1: let, let, let get it popping. <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: in our modern day pop culture, Tolkas is Will Smith and <laughs> Melkor is Chris Rock.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He will slap somebody. Tolkus is not afraid to put his hands on somebody. And that's what exactly what he wanted to do. He he went to uh Manware and he was like, Yo, let's just go attack him immediately. Yes. But they they, they didn't want to do that. You know, they didn't want Yeah, they wanna... like, let's
0: Let's, let's call just, let's they, use our words. <laughs>
1: they were afraid to destroy the earth how it got destroyed when they were fighting with Melkor um, originally when they lived in Almarin and then Melkor destroyed the, the two lamps and they, they had to reconfigure. So they were they were not quick to jump in and do that because their battles are crazy. It's different than just a land scale battle. Literally the, the earth gets rend- rendered and sundered apart and they didn't want to do that. They wanted the place where the children come to be intact. So they held off and uh, Manway says, nah, it's not the time to do that. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs>
0: yeah, like we'll get there, Tolkas. We'll get yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And Mandos speaks up and a reminder that Mandos is actually not his name. His name is Namo and Mandos now. is the place that he commands, which I yeah. think is so stupid and ridiculous that he his name is not his name. His name is the place that he commands, actually. <laughs>
1: This is like a redundancy in mythology uh, with the gods of the, the gods of the dead. So if you look at take a look at Hades, his name in the place where he dwells is the same. So Hades is the name of the underworld, as is the god of the underworld. So in that same vein, uh, you know, they call Mandos Mandos, even though his name is Namo, but he is mm. the god of the underworld and that, that place Oh, not underworld. The land, a god of the dead, is is known as the halls of Mandos, and he's called Mandos. So, I I get it. (laughs) Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, but they they really only call them uh, Mandos. Mandos, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's a great point. Yeah. So he says, well, the children of Iluvatar are to awaken um, underneath the stars, essentially. That's what we Mm -hmm. know, that the firstborn will come under the light of the stars. So we need that to happen first. So Varda goes over, turns up the brightness on the stars, to say yeah. the least <laughs> it says therewith she made new stars and brighter against the coming of the firstborn wherefore mm-hmm. she whose name out of the deeps of time and the labors of ea was oh lord and here we go where i have to pull the book up closer to my face to read it so this is when she has a million <laughs> names the labors of it was tentale the kindler the kinder, yeah. was called after by the elves Ellen Queen of the Stars. And then mm-hmm. I believe there's still even one, two, three, four, five. There's still even like six more names for her after. Oh no, no. She's naming um, I think stars in the sky is what it is. So um, but yeah, so Varda turns up the stars, makes them more beautiful, makes them brighter. Yeah. And the children of Iluvatar are. Awaken the firstborn. We should remind everyone um, yeah. that the that Iluvatar you know. was like these are my golden children. <laughs>
1: yeah, these are these are the ones. These are it. Yes, these are the ones.
0: Um, and they awaken at okay. It's how do you say the water of awakening?
1: Yes, uh, Qui
0: Quievianen. Okay, there we go. They awaken at Quievianen, the water of awakening. -hmm. And it says, therefore, they have ever loved the starlight and have revered Varda, Elintari, above all the Velar, which I believe we all kind of knew that the elves, um, even if you didn't officially know that the elves revered the stars, um, I think just, like, it's something that, like, contextually or, like, or I guess subtextually, it's very subtle that, like, you pick up about the elves, even just watching the movie. Um, And so hearing that it, reading this story, that Varda makes the stars... More beautiful and brighter, and she um, creates like you know these constellations or these certain mm-hmm. stars and names them. That all makes sense why the elves revered the starlight.
1: Yes, ma'am. Yeah, she creates the sickle of the uh, the sickle of the Valar, the the seven stars, and it's a sign uh as, you know as their challenge against Morgoth. And this is a reoccurring theme that we see throughout literally all of the races. Um, in Middle Earth, so keep an eye out for those seven stars um, because she first creates them, and then they become various symbols throughout Middle Earth history. And people are like, "Oh, what do those stars mean?" This is what they first mean. It's, it's they're set there as a challenge against Melkor.
0: Oh, okay, very cool. Yeah, the elves call themselves the Quindy, signifying those that speak with voices. Speak with voices. For as yet, they had met no other living things that spoke or sang. So as I understand it, for several years, they are on Middle Earth kind of by themselves. They're just the Quindy, exploring, having a good time. And then one day, Orime is writing, and he hears them. First, he hears them singing, and then he kind of sees them in the distance and discovers, oh my gosh, the children are Luvatar. They're finally here. This is great news. Unfortunately, because of things that Melkor has done, they are, uh, the Quendi are afraid at first of Orme. And it's unclear if it's because Melkor has sent writers, possibly like You know, how we imagine from Lord of the Rings, possibly the Black Riders um, Mm -hmm. out near the Quindy. And so when they see Orme on his horse, they're afraid. Or if it's just that Melkor has um, sent rumors abroad of, you know, uh, warning them that they should be afraid of Orme. Some of them run away and hide. Some of them run away and hide and they're lost and we'll get back to those those ones in a second mm-hmm. and Orme walks up and eventually they see that he has I think it says the light for the light of Amon was in his face and all the noblest noblest of the elves were drawn towards it so mm-hmm. they see Orime is a good guy and they come out of hiding and they're like yay this is great <laughs> so yeah. um, the elves that ran away and were lost Melkor captured them and imprisoned them in Utumno mm-hmm. and they were there for years and years and by the slow and by slow arts of cruelty were corrupted and enslaved. And thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of orcs in envy and mockery of elves of whom they were afterwards, the bitterest foes. And it says this, this it may be was the vilest deed of Melkor and the most hateful to Iluvatar.
1: Yeah. The, the changes, his, 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 Prized kid child, children into the most hated yeah, the and first yeah he changed them into complete opposites of what they were supposed to be um he can't create life but he can twist it and and, and alter it and that's exactly what he did and uh you know to do that to, to Iluvatar is just a giant slap in his face because Iluvatar you know and embedded in them how much he wanted them to take care of the elves. How he wanted the Valar to take care of the elves and prepare the way for the elves. And for him to twist the elves into just sick wicked beings. It was like a giant slap in the face to a So so that's why it says that. And and that's how the orcs first became into being.
0: Yeah. This is a yeah, this is a huge thing. Of course, you know, coming from Lord of the Rings, orcs are like one of our primary you know villains we see thousands of them in the movies and mm-hmm. uh you know of course Legolas and Gimli have a battle ho- to see who can kill the most so we know who or- orcs are and we know what they are and they're you know these gross creatures and so hearing um i think i had known or or heard hints at you know what the origin of orcs were but never really was like i was like i'm sure i'll you know learn that eventually and here here it is now i'm learning it um that the they were originally elves which is you know it is uh it's a very sad tale but it's very it's very cool to hear all of these origins of these kind of like connecting a lot of pieces from what i know of lord of the rings which is happening in like the absolute last ages of of Tolkien's world compared yep. to now, the, the absolute earliest ages of his yeah. world.
1: It's, it's so cool to see how it plays out, how mm-hmm. it comes into being, seeing things set up, seeing things coming to fruition. You know, seeing the origins of hatred between two races. A bunch, of, you know, it's a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, e- even even the fact that you didn't, in the Lord of the Rings, you have no clue that there's gods. Really, you you kind of don't really get into that. But then you find yeah. out you know, there's these beings moving this stuff. And then you're like, well, why aren't they doing this? And, and so just reading the Silmarillion is very eye-opening. And it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oromë, having discovered that the children of Aluvatar, the firstborn, the Quindy, are now here, brings word back to the Valar in Valinor. They're all very worried because Melkor is still out there. Mm-hmm. And... The elves are there now, and so they're like, we gotta, we gotta talk us. It's your ju- it's your it's your time to shine. <laughs>
1: let's, let's go to war. Yeah.
0: They do indeed go to war. And at first I kind of made fun of Tolkien a little bit because I was I was as I was reading it um it within a paragraph it kind of summarizes it says but the valar made ready and came forth from amon in strength of war resolving to assault the fortresses of melkor and make an end. Never did Melkor forget that this war was made for the sake of the elves and that they were the cause of his downfall. Yet they had no part in those deeds and they know little of the writing of the might of the West against the North in the beginning of their days. And so at first I was like, okay, so he's already acknowledged that Melkor loses in this battle, classic Tolkien glossing, glossing over big fights. But he actually goes into a lot more detail than uh, he usually does with with wars and battles and once again like we were kind of talking about earlier um it says in that time the shape of middle earth was changed and the great sea that sundered it from amon grew wide and deep and it broke in upon the coasts and made a deep gulf to the southward um and then i think it yeah it says many lesser bays were made between the great gulf and hella how did you say that
1: the Helkaraxar,
0: and that's the big land bridge that you yeah
1: in the north. Uh, that it's like a it's called the Sea of Grinding Ice. It's like very treacherous. Like you can cross it, but like you you'll probably die in the process because the ice falls and rises, and it's just like the most hectic, it's really
0: dangerous, really yeah.
1: dangerous. Like only like uh, deities can cross it. Like the Valar can cross it, no problem. The Maiar can cross it, no problem. They're spirits, and they're they can they're you know gods and whatever and angels like beings but the elves or men not trying to cross it very treacherous, mm. very difficult to cross it. It's like going to Antarctica and trying to trek across Antarctica. But imagine it, giant convulsions of ice rising and falling constantly. That would be more like into the Helcaraxer.
0: Okay, got it. Yeah. And then it says, The lands of the far north were all made desolate in those days. For their autumnno was delved exceeding deep, and its pits were filled with fire and with great hosts of the servants of Melkor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So is that... The beginnings of what becomes Mordor?
1: No. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Here
0: I was thinking I was like, ooh, I see what's happening.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, Mordor is later. But um, as you said, okay. we'll get into Mordor. But um uh no, this is just his his original stronghold was like uh literally like hell, uh in and and that's And um that th- this is just where the beginnings of everything was and it was like he said like he said it was dealt really deep there was, mm-hmm. was orcs and pits and all his creatures and beings were in there hidden so when he gets assaulted you see you'll see what happens or a, as we're about to explain but yes. when it was assaulted, they have to literally completely destroy autumno and, and and everything underneath it to get rid of these uh things and 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 remember there's a second fortress and if you didn't concentrate completely on destroying the second fortress and getting everything out of there, things will survive and come back to bite you in the ass.
0: Yeah. I'll say. So it says at last the gates of Otumno were broken and the halls unroofed and Melkor took refuge in the uttermost pit. Then Tolkas, good old, good old Tolkas,
1: stood wolf forth as champion. as
0: champion of the Valar. Yes. <laughs> um, and it says he wrestled with him, which I think is just kind of funny to imagine like, just two got rather than like duking it out with like a you know, usually in fantasy, it's a sword fight, you know, or there are powers involved or something. But somehow, the idea of like two you know, all powerful beings just like <laughs> going at it hand to hand and just like wrestling just seems kind of funny with me.
1: <laughs> but that, that's totally different, is he is the god of strength? So it's not that, he, yeah, he's actually stronger than Melkor overall. Melkor overall is the strongest Valar. This is why he was able to hold off all the rest of the Valar by himself for so long until Torkus came. is doesn't get dismayed by things and he physically is stronger. So as long as he can physically t- attack Melkor, Melkor can't win that fight in that sense. But Melkor's strength is in other things. And you'll see as mm-hmm. time goes on, he puts his strength into other things and other uses and, and, it, and it lasts far longer than somebody's physical strength. So at, as, as we see, he can't beat talkers physically, but we'll see other things happen and yeah. we'll see Melchor's strength is in other things. So
0: yeah.
1: you know that's a good explanation because people always say, well, if Talk is stronger, what's what's the problem? Why didn't he just focus is just physically stronger? He's nowhere he's nowhere near as strong as Melkor overall and in different things that Melkor okay. can do. Yeah. But, but in the sense that they got face to face and they had to physically fight each other, he can win that. But other than that, he can't do half the stuff Melkor could do. Tokus is actually the weakest of the Valar comparatively in their strengths, uh, which Mm. you you already have read. in their strength wise as far as like what they can do overall physical strength he's number 1 but he's last yeah. comparatively out of the great you know Manway then Olmo then um Olay then um Orme then it goes on and so on and so forth and he's dead last as far as that goes but right. physical strength he can't be matched he can't be nothing will dismay him nothing can outrun him he you know so he he can he can will smith you He'll yeah put you <laughs>
0: Yeah. And that's why um in, in all of their problems he's immediately to be like, "Well, let's fight. <laughs> I can yeah, do that."
1: <laughs> I can do that. But then, you know, like I said, we'll see if that gets you does that win everything all the time. And, mm. and- The scenarios so we'll see if that's the case you know
0: tolcus beats him and he bounds him with a chain wrought by Aule. uh they bring melkor back to valinor
1: yeah chaining with the chain and gynor
0: and okay and got see that's why i you noticed how i skipped over the the word with
1: all the vowels that's (laughs) what i'm here for and gynor created by Aule. And they uh, literally, you know, they bring him back to Valinor and they lock him in the halls of Mandos.
0: Yes. With no essentially no, um, no trial or even if he tries to I think it says um, to plead for pardon. Um, yeah. or he could have sued for pardon, but yeah. he was denied. Obviously,
1: he can't sue for pardon until he serves his sentence first, and then he can try to get a pardon. But he has to, you know, do uh, his time first.
0: Yes, it says you know? three ages long, so it'll yeah. be a while before he can even go go to trial.
1: Essentially, yeah. one of the one of the good things about this that chapter, that part of the chapter, is, um, I find it extremely. Telling and um well written that Nienna, uh basically the goddess of uh, you know, like uh understanding, forgiveness of uh, mm-hmm. you know, like pity, sues for his pardon as well, even though she suffered at the hands of Melkor just like the rest of the Valar did. But that's literally her being. So even to him, she can have pity and she said, Hey, let's just release him, you know. And they just they didn't they didn't listen to her, but that, that speaks a lot. And 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 Nienna is one of the people that, you know, uh, raised Gandalf as far as, uh, you know, she he was one of the people that, you know, influenced mm-hmm. him. So we, we see that later on. And, and you've read The Lord of the Rings. You see he has very much uh, somebody who pities other people, pitied Gollum, pitied Saruman. Um, and, and this is where he learns it from, from Nienna.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So the Valar are like, oh, right, we did it. We defeated darkness. Melkor's in prison. Mm-hmm. But little do they know that they there's a few parts of Autumno and Aang Band, Aang, Aang band <laughs> that they did not discover. And so there are still some dark secrets hidden away, including yeah. this little guy named Sauron. <laughs>
1: they did not find Sauron. And that this, oof, man, no sport, no spoilers ahead, but comes back to bite him in the ass. I ha- yeah.
0: I have a feeling we'll see him again.
1: You <laughs> will, man. And this is why um, if, if you didn't know, Sauron is my favorite, like one of my favorite characters, um, literally just his patience is, oh, man, everything about Sauron is so cool it's so cool when you read the Silmarillion and you get more context as to Sauron and the trust that Melkor puts in Sauron and Sauron's skill of evasion, his skill of, uh, of talking, uh, so many things we'll come to see, but it puts in the spec perspective, extreme perspective, why they fear him so much in the third age and why the world is like, Oh man, it's, it's, a, there's a reason. And, 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 These are just the beginnings of seeing it. They destroyed Autumnal. They laid the pits bare. What escaped, escaped, but they captured Melkor, chained him up, and brought him to Valinor, but they could not find Sauron. And that speaks volumes.
0: Mm, Yeah. Now the question for the Valar is what do we do with the Quendi? Should... Um, since all of this destruction and everything happened because of Melkor, they, you know, they were down there and they were in danger. Um, some of them say we should just let them live their lives, let them, you know, use, um, you know, free will and and figure out how to use the land and explore it for their own. But most yeah. of them are just afraid for them living down there on their own and that. Yeah something like this could happen again. So they decide to bring the Quindy to Valinor. Yes, yes, yes. However, because like the 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 Quendi have had essentially no interactions with the Valar except for, you know, seeing like this war and this battle with Melkor probably in the distance and seeing, you know, lands be destroyed or or feeling the earth rumble and they were also um Lied to or deceived by Melkor earlier with him trying to make them afraid of Orme. So they have very little reason to trust the Valar at this point. Yeah. Um and and you know, I don't think I blame them necessarily. They don't know who the Valar they, are. They don't know
1: who they are, they don't know what's going on. They know that Orme is is probably like more of a good guy, but they don't know what's going on or, or anything. Like, so yeah, absolutely. didn't you know, some of them started disappearing. It was the shadow shapes came. It, what is going oh, on? That's
0: true. Yeah. that's uh, They're probably like, yo, my brother just straight up disappeared. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. Like
1: so they, 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 they got him. They yapped them. They're like, they got, they, they took him. So I completely understand them not trusting, uh, you know, blindly, you know. So uh, one of the coolest things on earth happens is they say, okay, don't blindly trust us. You know what I'm saying? You guys send three ambassadors. There's three different groups of elves, which I'm sure you are about to get into. Um, and, and each of those groups send an ambassador over with Orme, who they do trust. And he says, hey, let's let's go take a ride to Valinor and I'll show you what it's like. And then you can come back and see if you can convince your ind- uh, individual groups or, you know, uh types of elves to come over and and that's exactly what they did. So I will let you get into that. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> let's get into that. Um so yes, Orme picks um three elves to act as representatives. They are named Ingwe, Finwe, yep. and Elwe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um and they go to Valinor and they come back and they're like, "Hey, this place is actually pretty dope. Like this is <laughs> a great place. Let's yeah. go." The first that go are led by Ingwe and they are called the Vanyar and they're the fair elves, the beloved of Manwe and Varda and few among men have spoken with them. So yes. they're the ones that were immediately like, yeah, this is great. They were very trusting of Ingwe. And they essentially have no hesitancy and go to Valinor. The next group is the Noldor, a name of wisdom. And they are led by Finwe. They the are the elves. Deep Elves. Yes. The friends of Aule. And they are renowned in song, for they fought and labored long and grievously in the northern lands of old. So they still had some connections with, with the old land, essentially, but they still decide to go to Valinor.
1: Yeah. But no, it's very important. These descripti- descriptions of these elves are super important. So I, I recommend to anybody who's reading the Silmarillion or going to concentrate on this because it comes into play. And, and there he's not describing these elves for no reason. The, the type of elves that they are is very important. It, it all comes into play. The the Noldor are the deep elves. They're the ones who create. They're the ones who are great at everything, Um you know, whether it's uh, thinking, uh, you know, fighting, they are, are deep, they are good. The Vanyar are just the fair elves. They're beautiful. They kind of just are removed. They're, they're like kind of perfect in the sense that they do what the Valar ask and stay with the Valar. They kind of don't get involved in things. And, and that's what they are, you know. And, and then we, we come up to the third group, the Teleri elves.
0: And, you know, thank you for saying that These are important and we should pay attention to them because sometimes... Um, when I'm reading the Silmarillion, you know, you said he's not describing these for no reason. Sometimes yeah. it does feel like Tolkien is describing things for no reason other than to just, you know, write beautiful words, which is great. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know like which important thing to pay attention to if they're all important. So knowing that like these elves in particular will come up repeatedly and you know the groups that they are are important to pay attention to that's very helpful
1: yeah everything um, everything he describes kind of comes back full circle no, even the smallest details like you would think oh you just described this hill it doesn't mean anything and then it comes back and it's like oh wow that's super important what and this is why we love the lord so much it's so deep and Beyond genius, beyond genius. And when you when you get further into Silmarillion, you will see it and you're gonna be like, wow, how he described these elves, it plays a tremendous part and connections with other beings and connection to even other beings and how they are and why they are. And it's just phenomenal. So keep in mind to pay attention. And just like I said, and then even the description of the last elves, this is super important. These little things, details in the Lord of the rings will come back in your head and you'll be like wow okay i got it i see why these type of elves are like that and that makes perfect sense why they're this way or that way or whatever the case may have you so yeah i I just love it so much
0: cool cool yeah so the last group led by elway and his brother olway they are the Teleri, for they tarried on the road, and were not wholly of a mind to pass from the dusk to the light of Valinor. Yeah. In water they had great delight. Those that came and those that came at last to the western shores were enamored of the sea. The sea elves, therefore, they became in the land of Amon the Falmari, for they made music beside the breaking waves. So mm-hmm. There's the Teleri, and they um, are the ones that have the most hesitancy, and we'll Mm -hmm. learn more about kind of why they were hesitant in just a second, Um, but they they take the longest to get to Valinor, they're the most unsure, but they do get there eventually. So the elves that make it to Valinor are called the Caliquindi, the Elves of the Light, yeah, and the elves that stay behind. Um, so there is one group of elves that didn't even like think Leave about coming. They it's called them the unwilling, the yeah. Avari.
1: The Avari, they just stay and wander. Yeah, they just were like, like we're wandering. good
0: here. We're, we're good. it's we're kind of freaky deal. out here already. We're we're good. Um, <laughs> so they're among the Moraquindi, the elves of the darkness.
1: For Mm -hmm. they never
0: beheld the light that was before the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that the Teleri were hesitant to come to Valar, as they're traveling, they reach what we know as the Misty Mountains and the Anduin. And these are, this is a river and the mountains that have been made um, taller and more terrible in those days and were reared by Melkor to hinder the writing of Orome. Yes. So they get there and the Vanyar and the Noldor are like, this is fine, no problem. And they go over the Mm -hmm. mountains, not worried about it. But the Teleri are very much afraid. So they kind of... Take a minute and, and pause. Then one arose in the host of Olway, named Linway, and he forsook the westward march and led away numerous people southwards down the great river, and they passed out of knowledge of their kin until long years were passed. The Nandor. The Nandor, yes. Yeah. And they, honestly, they sound kind of like the coolest to me, where it says that they, they loved water and dwelt most beside falls and running streams. This is the part that I think is just really cool. Greater knowledge they had of living things, tree and herb, bird and beast. So it sounds like Yavana would probably get along really well with them. Um, they had the greatest knowledge of all of these things than all of the dwarves. Um mm-hmm. And also, name drop for us, um, the son of Linway is named Dinathor.
1: Dinator, yes. <laughs> yep. Any any Denethor relation Dandor. to,
0: distant relation to...
1: No, just the namesake.
0: Just the name, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, we, without it being a spoiler, just for understanding sake, because you've read The Lord of the Rings. Now, this isn't a spoiler, so don't get mad at me. But... Um, <laughs> We we know that in uh, Northern Mirkwood, we have the Elves of Merkwood. Yes. And then we have the, the Elves of Lothlorien. Florian. Both are descended from the Nandor.
0: Okay, so I wondered.
1: Both, yeah. yeah. Both Mor- Mori Quindy and the Elves of Merkwood completely descended from the Nandor, and they're um, called Sylvan Elves to Larry. There's so many different. Uh, groups in the Teleri Elves, but basically Teleri is like the, the, the big group that you know. Then they're called the Nandor because they stayed behind and they're called the Sylvan Elves, but they're still all the same. And, mm. and the same goes for the Elves of Lothlorien, even though some other types of Elves join the Elves of Lothlorien, the main group is Sylvan Elves that are made up of, of uh, the Nandor that are all Teleri Elves. from the
0: Tulare, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And they're more Maury the Elves of the Darkness, so... That's where you get those groups from. It's really cool when you get to see how they spread out, how they're sundered from the other elves, why they're sundered from the other elves, and what happens, and then how other elves become different groups, but they're really all related and all the same in a sense. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's cool to see how, you know, originally they started out as this one group, the Quindy, and then yeah. hearing all of these different stories of, well, these ones went off because they, had complete trust over Ingwe and Orme and the Valar, and these ones were a little more hesitant, but they became buddies with... Um, I think it's an owl and, you know, these ones were more hesitant. So it's really cool to see the backstories of all these different peoples as the, um, or I say peoples, but, you know, they're elves. Yeah. Um, the the elves to see like different, you know, ca- character traits and personalities and, and interests coming out of these different groups and hearing, okay, these, the Nandor love water and nature and they learn a lot about um, plants and and animals, and knowing that they, you know, are the Merquid Elves and the Lothlorien Elves, that makes lots of sense. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and that that's essentially it. There's this last two paragraphs. This is kind of what I was talking about towards the beginning of the episode, where I was like, I need I need a map. I'm totally lost. Where it was talking <laughs> about um Bell
1: Beleriand-
0: Beleriand, um, yeah. which is the western, yeah, so it says, <laughs> at length, the Vanyar and the Noldor came over Luin, the Blue Mountains, Blue between Mountains, yeah. er- Eriador, Eriador and the westernmost land of Middle Earth, which the elves named after Belar I've already forgotten what you said, <laughs> Beleriand, um, yeah, Balerian passed over the veil of C- Syrian, the Syrian. great sea between Dringist and the Bay of Balar. Bal- there's <laughs> there's a lot of places being dropped and I'm I I'll be honest, I gave up on the last two paragraphs and was like, I think what I'm supposed to take away is that these elves eventually got to Valinor?
1: <laughs> they got they got to Valinor. So um, that's I guess that's where the chapter ends, and then you'll see you know even more of the breaking up of the, the groups of elves or whatever the case. But I'll let you get to that. So just so an understanding, if you're familiar with the map of Middle Earth, at the very western edge of Middle Earth that you know from the Third Age, where you see the Grey Havens,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know west, west of the Shire. And and then you see this. Th- those are the Blue Mountains right okay. there. And Then you see the Grey Havens and, and literally past that west was a land. It was a giant land there that was all connected to Middle Earth. And it, it was called Beleriand. And that's where everything happens in the first age. So everything okay. east of the Blue Mountains literally doesn't even come into play until the second and third ages. Everything we're going to get into is going to be in Balarian because that's where everybody kind of settles or comes back to. And that's okay. where the that story takes place there. So you're going to have to learn those lands, get a map <laughs> and we can go over it. Um, Syrian is the the the, the largest uh, river, w- the most important river in Beleriand. So you're going to hear Syrian a ton. You're going to hear
0: okay.
1: River Syrian a ton is very important strategically. And and everything else. Syrian is important. Um Drangist is a, the western, like it's a western port kind of like uh, a harbor where people come back from Valinor over to um Middle Earth. I mean over to Balarian. So the first of Drangist is where people arrived if they were the elves were coming back to Middle Earth. So that's important. And then other things, but I'm trying to just give you a little gist of geography. Uh, yeah. So um yeah, okay, so
0: Balerian is where essentially the the stuff that we'll be reading about, that's where it's taking place.
1: The entire Silmarillion takes place in Balerian. Yes.
0: Balerian. Okay, yeah. cool. Great to know. Thank you. <laughs> Um. Yeah, we'll definitely need to start looking up some maps, especially just it's just so tricky that Tolkien how, you know, this is now the second chapter in a row where something's happened that has changed the, the shape yeah. and the geography of the land forever. So I'm like, well, great. Now, whatever image I had in my head, I have to throw that out and figure out a new one. So you
1: didn't get to the hard chapter where he's describing all the lands of Beleriand and you're going to be like, what? Oh, no! It- <laughs> but but oh it- no it pays off when you when you're paying attention and looking at the map it pays off so much and then you get this it the strategy and the things that happen in the, the placing and everything it just comes together so perfectly like uh, i don't know how anybody could ever out Right tokens. I don't. I don't think it could be done. Like, it's a ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and um, you'll come to appreciate it. So it'll go from not understanding, confusing, hard to oh my goodness, this is ingenious, and you'll understand everything, and the names will come second nature to you. You'll know what type of elves live where, where the dwarves live, where Morgoth's castle of uh, you know Angband is, and and so many different things, and, and we'll get to all of that. So I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to to hear your feedback from you reading that.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, We're at the end of the chapter and the the end of the episode. I absolutely loved your passion for the Silmarillion and Tolkien. um, Because it's, you know, as we, you know, we spent an hour talking about just a few pages and a lot of things happened. So um, yeah, thank you for coming and sharing your, your wealth of knowledge with me and the listeners. Um, Where can people find you on the internet and what would you like to share with the audience?
1: Thank you very much. Um, You can, you guys can find me on TikTok. You can find me as new, better, do better. K N E W B E T T A uh, D O B E T T A Uh, all one word. New Better, Do Better. You can find me on TikTok. That's my main thing, my main uh, uh, platform. But I'm also on YouTube. Same thing, New Better, Do Better. I'm also on uh, Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, you type in New Better, Do Better, I'll pop up. Um, even if there's a slight, you know, like, there's a three at the end because, you know, somebody else had the name. Um, but main thing I want to tell you guys is that I, too, have started a podcast. So um, I'm I'm in, I'm in your vein now. Uh, awesome. I few days ago or a couple days ago rather, even yesterday yesterday a day before. And um you guys can find that on Spotify. It's called Voices of Order, where me and a, a friend of mine, Callie Cosplay, who I met on TikTok and we we became friends and we talk about Lord of the Rings uh and, and have conversations. And our first episode was released earlier in the week. So uh check that out on YouTube and Spotify. It's called Voices of Order. Episode one, episode two will be out during this week coming up. Uh, we're going to shoot it on um, Wednesday and record it on Wednesday. So, you know, guys, please follow me on TikTok. Um, like, share, comment, um, all that good stuff. And and uh, I can't thank you so much, Mary, for, for allowing me to come and just, you know, nerd out with you and, and have fun, talk about, uh, you know, your understanding of the book. And, and you did an awesome job you are awesome keep doing what you're doing it, it it excites people like me to see somebody getting into the writing um the reading and then you know being able to help them along or you know share that journey with them um Great.
0: Well, thank you so much. Yes, listeners, make sure to go check out all of his stuff and all of um and the new podcast. That sounds so exciting. Congratulations. Uh all of that will be linked in the episode description. That's what I'm talking about. as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, go to WBNE.org where you will find all of our shows like Late to the Party. The cover is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for that's what I'm talking about by going to tpublic.com/slash user slash About pod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Tolkien About Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsup and Instagram at MC TurnDown for what You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash About pod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. I have some new announcements regarding Patreon. I uh, was very displeased with myself. There was never any negative feedback from my patrons because they're all wonderful people who support the podcast and support me. And I have never taken that for granted. And I so appreciate the fact that people want to do that in the first place. It's just so amazing to me. But... I wanted to feel like I was showing my appreciation a little bit better. I was not managing the perks that I had as sufficiently as I wanted to. So here are a few updates regarding the Patreon perks if you are interested in joining for the first time or updating your pledge. First and foremost, Everyone, when you join Patreon, will get a postcard just when you join. It used to be it was every six months after you remained a patron, but that became too unmanageable for me and I kept losing track and getting behind and then it was a lot to catch up on. So now it'll just be you get a special postcard when you join the Patreon. The next thing is that patrons of the shout out level and above will receive a sticker every six months that they remain a patron. Now these stickers are all very random. I found this jumbo pack of Lord of the Rings stickers. Some of them are funny and cute and some of them are just weird, but they're all entertaining and so I want to share that and make the shout out level patrons feel more special than just a shout out each week doing something a little bit extra to show my appreciation. And then a step up from that, members of the Elevensies tier and above, you will be getting a few more pieces of bonus content throughout the month. You might remember that in earlier episodes of the show, I would ask my guests to recommend something that they thought a Lord of the Rings fan would enjoy, a book, a movie, a show. And it got to a point where some of the recommendations were just getting repetitive because imagine that, Lord of the Rings fans all watch and listen to a lot of similar things. And it was also adding to the runtime of the episode. So I will be bringing that back in the form of mini-sodes, just a quick post-show recording with my guests that you can listen to if you're a member of the Elevensies tier or above. So to summarize, you will get a postcard when you become a patron. If you join the shout-out tier or above, you will get a random Lord of the Rings sticker every six months. And if you joined the 11s tier or above you will get additional bonus content and now that'll bring us to this week's sponsor of the podcast which is amen amen i hope i'm saying your name correctly if i'm not please correct me in discord which i see you already joined yay you're in the best place possible on the internet Um, I'm excited to get to chat with you more often in Discord, and thank you for supporting the podcast. And one final thing before we wrap up the episode, if you are reading The Silmarillion along with the episodes, next week we will be reading both chapters four and five, because chapter four is very short. Now, before we go, do you have any parting words for the audience?
1: Parting words for audience, man, if you knew better, you would do better, and um, Bormir did nothing wrong. Um... might have to
0: I don't know about that I don't know so usually this is where I would say and that's what I'm talking about but I don't know if I can say that to Boromir did nothing wrong hmm
1: besides trying to take the ring other than that Boromir's not wrong you know besides trying to forcibly take the ring Boromir's not wrong hmm
0: well I have to close out the podcast some way so I do not condone that statement at all and that's (laughs) what I'm talking about